Hello, and welcome to The Benevolent Disruptor. It's a podcast about disruption. Disruption to your organisation as you seek higher levels of agility, but benevolence where you see kindness as being critical to your change process. In the podcast, we'll talk about getting a agile system to perform whilst reconnecting your people to purpose. Hello, my name is Niall McShane and welcome to the Benevolent Disruptor. In this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit around language, around what leaders and executives need in terms of having a language to talk about agility. I'm going to talk also about principles, how as executives, there are principles of how work is monitored and controlled that persist irrespective of your way of working. Lastly, I'm going to talk around behavior and what happens when the executive starts behaving in a particular way and what that does to the rest of the organization as they and everybody tries to figure out what this thing called agile is for the organization and its culture. So let's progress on to our to the first topic. And I I want to start with a real story. Uh, I've been involved in many large quite large transformation programs affecting tens of thousands of people. And on one occasion, I was with the CEO of, of, of an organization of that size. And my job for that particular day was to work with the CEO and the executive team to brief them and update them on what Agile is. Just, if you like, some Agile fundamentals for executives. And I remember very clearly the first thing the CEO said to me before the day started. He said, Niall, I don't want any of this agile gobbledygook was the word he used. Now, gobbledygook in this context simply means don't confuse me with words that are not helpful. Uh, Don't introduce a foreign language and set of terms that are just gonna confuse myself and my executive team. Keep things simple, um, help us learn. Uh, so, so that was his guidance and steer for the day. And since, since that meeting with that CEO, I have on a number of occasions developed an appreciation for, I suppose empathy for, these senior influential executives and the experience they're going through when people such as myself come in with an entirely new way of talking about business, value, customers, delivering things. And where, I, where I've ended up in terms of what I wanted to talk to you about today with agile gobbledygook and and the language that comes with this as a way to work, I've ended up and I I like the the work of Daniel Pink. And if you you haven't seen Daniel Pink's work, it's even even called a framework now. It's essentially got three components and, and it talks about how we 
move the culture of an organization and empower people to get on and do the job with autonomy. And it's essentially got three concepts that I'm going to just touch on here uh, as it relates to this concept of, of agile gobbledygook. Um, so autonomy, mastery and purpose is what Daniel Pink says is are the three, if you like, attributes we're aiming for in our workforce um, so that we can have a high performing organization. Um, people feel that they're connected to the purpose of the organization, both personally and professionally. They can operate w with autonomy and feel they're masters of their work. And, you know, that idea of mastery is that I've got the skills and capabilities to do it. And the realization I had when I was talking to this CEO was if I'm coming in as a consultant or educator or coach with this entirely new language, what I'm doing is removing the CEOs or decreasing the CEOs mastery. I'm essentially coming in and saying, well, all of the, that way that you've worked to achieve what you've achieved in your career, I'm, I'm saying that language doesn't work anymore. And you have to think about, instead of saying work packages, you're, you're talking about epics. And in, instead of saying, well, what are you working on? It has to be your user story. And instead of saying how long that's going to take, we talk about, well, how many story points is that? Or how have you relatively estimated it? And all of this new language, we, we know that's useful and it's part of the way of working. But from a CEO's perspective, it's gobbledygook. So I think it's upon us uh, as a community, if you like, or, or a professional community of, of agile practitioners to do a better job. So if you're an executive or a leader or someone sponsoring an agile transformation or change program, and you're listening to this, here, here's my advice. Here's something I suggest you, you take back to your organization. Don't put up with the gobbledygook. If someone comes to you and uses a word that you don't quite understand, be a little bit vulnerable and say, excuse me, just if you could, if you wouldn't mind just explaining what you mean by that word, but also map it to, to common language that I might know right now. Tell me about the principle that underlines, under, that, that is underneath that word or that language. What is it trying to achieve and, and why do we need a different word? And I've seen this play out in many different ways to the point where an executive would dismiss and not adopt any new language. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's really modeling that change is happening. So there's this balance between adopting new language, but not for the sake of it. And no more so should we be more sensitive to this than with the executives who've got lots to consider and think about apart from the change in the way of working. They've got lots of other accountabilities. So it's upon us to, to make this transition to a different way to work a smoother one by not getting stuck on language. So executives and leaders and sponsors out there, I suggest you respectfully challenge when people are bringing whole new dictionaries of language to you 
that are simply overwhelming or confusing and reducing your mastery, not feeling like you're the master of your role anymore because uh, your, your entire language has been replaced. So that's something to think about. And uh, I wouldn't put up with the gobbledygook because if you, if you do push back and there's not really very good answers coming back and they can't explain, people can't explain this language back to you in simple terms with underlying principles and pragmatic approach, then one needs to question the capability or the competency of, of the people asking you to change. Food for thought. I'll leave that with you. The, ne the, the, next, uh, the next topic I want to talk about here for, for executives and, and this idea of how can we guide you along to avoid the gobbledygook is, is another lesson I've learned. Um, I remember very clearly when we, we were, I was designing how executives could assure and govern a large program of work. And we were really struggling on how to consider the monitoring and controlling job that they need to do over, over lots of monies and funds that have been deployed for, for work. And, and I remember very clearly um, one, one executive came up to me and said, please don't take away any of my monitoring and, and control and my controls, my assurance controls for, for, for delivery. Don't take away those controls unless you give me a better one. And wow, that really stuck with me because it gets back to this idea of mastery again. You know, if you've got an agile delivery program and you've got an executive who's who's ultimately accountable for that delivering the strategy and they're trying to monitor and control and work with and through other people to execute that that work taking away those controls can you imagine the the stress that that would bring to you as an executive so if you're listening to this and you're sponsoring a large program of work that is possibly experimenting with agility or agile as a way to work, do not, do not let anybody reduce your ability to monitor the work until they have replaced it with a better way to do it. Because agile as a way to work is all about visibility and understanding and, vis and seeing and transparency of what's going on. So if someone said to you, hey, take a leap of faith and Trust me that this new way of working is going to provide you the way to control and monitor outcomes. Then you need to feel that it's replacing and improving on the way you do it now. That is not unreasonable. This should be a better way. Of course, you need to give it the benefit of the doubt and you need to give it a, give it a good try. But if people are asking you to stop doing something, you know, like having steering committees and lots of PowerPoint packs and dashboards with rich data and whatever else it is, it needs to be replaced with a different, better way to monitor, control and assure a program of work. That's my experience. And, and when I'm trying to get buy-in from executives, I certainly start with that. I say, let's, let's see how you can monitor, control and assure that, that this strategy is going to get executed from the work being done. So, so there's a couple of things there to consider around new language and new ways to work and avoiding this, this mysterious gobbledygook that comes with Agile. But the last 
The last element I want to talk to you today in this podcast is about is about behavior and it's about culture. And what I'm trying to achieve with this particular episode is I'm trying to talk directly to those that sponsor programs and have them appreciate that what they do in terms of their behavior really matters. It's it's like you're, you're casting this shadow across the organization. And I remember I was talking to a CIO of, a, I think it was a 5,000 person organization and the IT function was was very powerful in the organization. And this person was very, she was very charismatic and um, very strong leader, very capable. And I remember mentioning, I said, you do understand and appreciate that getting a 30 minute meeting with yourself is a very big deal for everyone trying to lead the change in the way of working. And the fact that I had this 30 minutes, I wanted her to appreciate that she cast a big shadow and I actually used those words. What I was trying to do was ensure that that leader had an appreciation for her behavior mattered. And I'm going to tell a very quick story about when I was working with a CEO and we were doing a very big program with the top 50 leaders in this organization to talk about impediments, how we solve them in the organization. So they're all huddled in groups of eight in this massive ballroom. And we were all working on large whiteboards, talking about how to solve problems, issues, impediments to adopting better ways to work. And each of the teams were working on their own problem. And I was standing there observing, uh, helping helping one team do, do their work on the whiteboard. And they were highly collaborative, lots of great, rich conversation amongst the people in the room. And all of a sudden, uh, the CEO started to wonder by. And I thought, oh, this will be interesting. This is like a, a behavioral experiment. I wonder what will happen to the group's behavior as the CEO comes in to, to the group. Um, so all of a sudden, the conversation became a little bit more stilted. And I was watching very closely as, as the person facilitating and leading the conversation, who was a business person, as they were talking, they go, they would be recommending things. And I watched their eyes and their eyes darted just ever so briefly across to see what the CEO was saying, doing, posture, and level of engagement in the idea that that person was sharing. And I never forget that moment. It, it was a real-time live example for me of the influence or the, or the shadow a leader casts to give people permission to think more freely and to explore better ways to do things. So what's the takeaway tip here for someone who is in a position of influence, who's an executive or a leader or a sponsor of a large change program? Well, I think, I think the job in your job in that instance is to over communicate that people have permission to change to wherever you can hold back your the temptation to tell people what you think should happen or to provide even to provide your input into what 
they should do. Let them have a go at working it out. Give them permission to have space to be autonomous. Back to Daniel Pink's autonomy, mastery and purpose here. You're creating autonomy in, in your team for them to work it out. Jumping in and providing your input is not helping people learn. So what's interesting here is um, I've seen it work really, really positively when the leader defers back to the people in the room to solve the problem. So I'll leave that one with you. Uh, I do have one final one final um, tip or pointer that I want to that I want to um, talk to you about today, and that is about having absolute clarity. Absolute clarity on your commitment to the objective that agility is trying to achieve. So if you're the leader or sponsor, I'm saying here, absolute clarity on what you want it to look like. You don't, you don't necessarily have all the details on exactly how it will work, but think of a mental picture about the types of efficiencies and vibe and culture and uh, the level of rigor on on understanding, monitoring, and controlling the work. Um, so you want to know why are you moving your way of working towards agile or adopting agility practices. Be really, really clear on what you want that outcome to be. I've talked in a in previous episode about it should not just be about taking cost out of the business, although there may be productivity benefits. It should be something about serving serving better whoever you serve as an organization it should be about creating an employee environment where you are you are the place to go and do work because of the culture you've created so getting things done for for customers and really engaging your workforce they're great reasons to think about agility um, but it, it must it must require real change so as the leader having a clear vision of what that change may look like and then sticking with that, I think is so important nowadays. And the reason is, if as the sponsor, leader or executive of a change to the way of working, if you have doubts, that's the shadow you cast. Everybody sees and feels that doubt. If you're clear and confident and, and, and a very direct in saying, here's why we're doing this and here's what the vision looks like. People will pick up on that energy and that certainty and they will, they will be committed to the change. The moment you are wavering, it's amplified by an order of magnitude. The eyes start darting across in the conversations and the meetings to check with the CEO. Are we, are we f- serious about this change? I'm just checking. And it's very subtle. It's all in language and behavior. So there's some tips if you're sponsoring, leading, or if you're an executive involved in agile or delivery or business agility. These are the things in that have been um, really critical when I've been working with executives. Cutting out this agile gobbledygook, helping CEOs and executives have mastery with by getting rid of their language, making sure that we're very clear on what we're doing and why we're doing it, and having an appreciation 
for the shadow that we all cast in the organization. That's it for today's Agile Executive Guide to getting rid of gobbledygook. Uh, I hope, hopefully it was useful. My name is Niall McShane. If you'd like to learn more about uh, what I do or how I might help your organization, you can go to my website, which is sourceagility.com.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.